working for f***ing stupid idiots. And I'm not an idiot. So I don't want to work. Welcome to Work Shorts, where we go deep on the absurdity that is the working world and life in general. My name is Keith Coleman. And I'm Keith Spandy. He's Carl Spandy. And today's show is all about failure, Carl. What it means to fail in today's corporate environment. How much risk do we choose to take? Whether we work for a big office, a big corporation like we do, or you work for yourself, how do we process failure? In yep. today's environment, people are, are talking about all the time. And it's not just failure in your professional life, but it's also about failure in your personal life. That's a, I mean, that's a great point. It's, I mean, are we failing right now? There's a great possibility we, we might be, but we can't measure it. So I can't really tell. So I'm going to proceed as is. You know what? And I think that's great because if our fans, uh, fans, is a fans? Loose, fans is a loose term. <laughs> if, if our uh, listeners okay. want to uh, see... If our friendship is failing or not, we've got some great video content. Oh, that's great, right, we do. Got some great pictures up on our website of us playing at the park together. Dude, that was a great time, playing at the park. I think that was a lot of fun. Got to meet your family yeah, yeah. for the very first time. That was great, yeah. It was a little weird for me. I was, I was actually nervous because Which I've heard so part, much like about Like meeting them. my family or swinging in unison on the swings together? Uh, it was definitely the second one because there was an audience. I we definitely scarred about five children who are also on that playground. I know all those kids probably they came for the first time out of the winter. You know, it was like still winter. It's like the first spring they can go to the park. They see two dudes out there. I mean, we also have to set the scene. So, I mean, this is your family's first impression of me too. So I I get to the park first. Your family pulls in. You all get out of the van. You're starting to put your stuff together, and I crawl out of my car with my shorts on and you just have to look at the pictures they look absolutely ridiculous then you and I grown men proceed to play all around the playground basically waiting for kids to get off of some of the uh the equipment sometimes almost pushing them off yeah waiting for kids to get off so we could like set up the tripod I know. <laughs> it's like not only are do we do we not have many clothes on we also brought a camera <laughs> and there's a lot of kids around like what could go wrong I was couple I was nervous cuz there's a you know some dads there and I'm like I just hope they don't approach us and be like, hey, can I see the pictures? Make sure my kid's not in there. You know, it's like, oh, you never know, right? I mean. We had a great time doing that. Uh, but that kind of brings us into our our first segment called Keith and Carl Become Friends. I know we already kind of jumped into it a little bit, but this is our, our weekly segment where we jump in and say, yep. how are things going? I mean, this is pretty brand new. We're about a month into it. Uh, we've taken some major steps in the last week getting to know each other. This week, Carl, I have a question for you. All right, let's hear it. What was your favorite snack food as a kid? Ooh, favorite snack food. This is easy. It popped right into my mind. I'm sure you'll remember it as well. Uh, gushers. Really? Gushers, yeah. Yeah. That's... I know. Why I don't gushers? know why. It just popped in my head. I love, I love filled things. So I'm, I will always grab a filled donut. so many places. <laughs> I will always grab the filled donut. I will always grab like things that have... You know, cream in them or filling or jelly. That's just, I love that aspect of that contrast of the, the you know, the semi. It's because you're not expecting it? I don't know. I just feel like there's so much more flavor in that. The surrounding piece of it's always dull, but the inside filling is like flavorful. And I love See, that. See, I, I always shy away from those. That's hilarious. Yeah, I want to know what I'm getting as soon as I bite into it. So when I like feel the texture and I first put it in my yeah. mouth, 
I want this experience all the way through. And I just want a whole lot of it and any sort of surprise along the way. I, I don't really care for it. Well, so if you, this friendship might surprise you. <laughs> so I bite into it and it's like, oh, that was a surprise. And then you, but then you have another one and then you repeat the process all over again. You're like, oh, I like this outside. Then, oh, another. Well, I guess it's not a surprise of the second one, but still the inconsistency. Yeah. I don't care for it. I want one flavor and I just want to go hard until I'm sick. I mean, I feel like that's the one part of my life maybe gets a little surprise, a little, <laughs> a little burst of fun, a little burst of flavor, like a gusher. That's where, where you mix it up is in your snack food? Yeah. <laughs> How often did you have those? I don't know. I mean, pretty often. I mean, those I mean, I mean, those were like the uh, the special treat. And if it's, uh, you could get your hands on a gushers, it was, it was a good day. See, mine was a little harder to pick out it was cool ranch doritos oh so me me and my buddies would like play nintendo we're playing like super tech mobile you break out god i love that game fresh bag who's your team oh i am i have no idea i don't know i can't remember i was always the chiefs christian akoya yeah christian akoya nobody nobody could tackle him oh I yeah. think I was like the Raiders. It wasn't Bo Jackson. No, that was the original. Or Bo oh. Jackson was in the original one. Oh, okay. And that's when you had to be the Raiders. Yeah. But in the Super Tech Mobile. The Lions, did they have Barry Sanders then? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think but I everything was... else sucked. So it's really true to life like the Lions too. Yeah. But their defense is really good. What about Jerry Rice? Was he, We've lost was he half of the audience right now. Yeah, I know. That's true. <laughs> yeah, think about like the younger but, kids. So me and my buddy would... Every time we would start that, we'd break open a fresh bag of Doritos Cool Ranch, and you could just smell it. And we would crush the whole thing that was gone, and sometimes yeah. even have another bag. And every time you'd get sick, but you would just end up with those fingers that had all of the Cool Ranch on it. Yeah. Or at the end of the bag, you'd have those chips that were just all, all flavor. Yeah. And that, was, that was absolute heaven. I remember I had a, a story where I was eating what my other, I, referring back to chips, the chili cheese um, Fritos. Oh, I, I was never a big Fritos guy. I wasn't I, either until I got my hands on the chili. I mean, they're fantastic, but oh. what bothered me about them, I think it's because they're so fried, is I couldn't eat a million of them. Oh. Man. And I, I just don't like anything if I can't eat it for the next three hours. Yeah. Just eat the whole bag. <laughs> just eat the whole bag. Yeah. <laughs> man, I, was, I remember eating those. We were watching uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, and I had a mouthful of chili cheese Fritos, and my buddy was sitting next to me on the couch. And I turned over, and I looked to him, and I go, Parlay. <laughs> With just a stank breath of chili cheese Fritos. And he looked at me and goes, dude, what the f- is your problem? I could smell that right now. <laughs> it was so yeah. bad. It, I mean, it's a funny joke that we have. That's, you know, anytime we see those damn chips, uh, someone yells, parlay. I think you could tell a lot about a person from the snack food that they, that they appreciate. I got a question for you now. All right. What was your first concert that you attended? Ooh, first concert. Like my first real concert that I got to choose. Oh my gosh. Woodstock 99. Woodstock 99. I think I was 17 at the time. And it's kind of funny how I got to go there. I asked my mom to go, if I could go to a concert in Chicago. It's like an hour and a half away with some friends. It's a corn concert, right? Real stereotypical when you're 17, white, angry. Everybody could picture it. 
Um, she's like, no, you're definitely not going. Hard ass rock. Nope. Yes. I'm just angry. Whatever's <laughs> angry. Whatever's <laughs> angry. We're angry. We don't know why we're angry, but we're angry. Yeah, I can see why your mom would not let you <laughs> go there. Mosh uh, no, four of you getting getting a van and just cruise down to the city, be angry. What could go wrong? Yeah, yeah. go mosh. Uh, so naturally, as uh, an astute mother, she's like, no, you're not going to do this. When you're 18, whatever, like you can do stuff like this. And she's like, whatever concert comes next, you can go. All right. I'm like, are you serious? I'm like, okay. And then a couple months go by. It's a risky free pass. It is. And it came back to bite her when I said, Mom, I've got a concert for you. You said the next one, right? She's like, yeah, of course. Sure. Um, so the next one is uh, Woodstock 99. She's like, Wait, where's that? I'm like, it's, it's further away. Then Chicago, yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, it's in New York. It's for three days. It's they're trying to bring back the Woodstock '69. It was like the. Uh, did you your mom know where Woodstock was? The original? She did. She did, and that's where she's like, no. She's like, absolutely not. You're not yeah. going to go hang out with you and your your friends. Like, it's just a bunch of idiots going down the road. Uh, same friends that probably wanted to go to corn. Exactly. They were the same friends that wanted to go. And like, and some of them got to go. I'm like, I didn't get to go to that. I'm like, we're now we're gonna go in. Uh, this is even better. It was in my friend's uh, Woody station wagon, the wood paneled station yes. wagon. Yes. What was the color outside the wood? Was it blue? No, it was the. Uh, oh yes, it was. It was that light, the that white blue. blue color. Yeah, my aunt had the same one. It's like you yeah. sit in the back seat and you faced out like the rear. You could. Yeah. Like it was awesome. She's like, Are you guys seriously going to go in this? She's like, you're definitely not going. And my dad just like peeks his head. And remember, my dad's my lawyer at this point. Yeah. And he's like, well, deal's a deal, right? And she's like, Who, who's asking you? Like, I already, we already said no. He's like, well, I did, I did hear. I'm like, hey. I feel he like your said, dad might have like said, taken a big one for the team there. He did. Oh, oh, he took one for the team. Yeah. This, uh, this didn't work out for him. In the I short bring term. up that stuff to my wife, like Probably well, long term. they can uh, they can stay up a little bit later. Yeah, life. the look of death, it's just like I know, up and that's minutes. just staying up. I, yeah. And 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 I did the same thing when I was a kid. Oh, can I stay and watch Monday Night Football? Yeah. Like uh, five more minutes. Like no, this was a little bigger deal than that. Uh, he felt like you know he's like this this was the uh, the the rock that he was gonna gonna die on, and he fought for me, and I I went, and I'm like wow, I better not screw up because you just know, not get caught. He's, yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> So two, me and two of my friends go, and we're not allowed to go unless we have a chaperone. Like, well, I'm not sending three 17-year-old idiots out to... Uh, Did your dad go? No. It would, oh. it would have been far more responsible than who <laughs> went with us. So I think it was my one buddy's sister's boyfriend. He didn't have a job, I don't think. He was in a band. <laughs> And was 21, so he could buy us booze. Yes. So it was an absolute worst decision. Because not only are you sending three kids out there, now you're sending three kids and a guy who can buy them booze. Yeah. that's. So it was fantastic for us. And we knew it sounded fantastic. Turns out we had to take care of this guy more along the way than we had to watch out for ourselves. I mean, what was that like when your mom was watching you? It's oh, right, like... it wasn't good. She was pissed. And that is an understatement. Oh, my gosh. But it deals, that's what I learned in my life. Deal's a deal. Deal's a deal. So anytime I make a deal with somebody, I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. All right. How could this come back to me? Because I've seen how this comes back. So it was an absolute fantastic trip until about two-thirds of the way there when we realized that we did not have another cassette tape to play, right? This is way before iTunes, the radio hardly worked in this thing. So we had one You had mixtapes. No. Oh, we had a mixtape. We had one, and it was like one side. (laughs) <laughs> and it it played the same song over and over and over 
And to this day, I cannot listen to ZZ Top cheap sunglasses. That song comes on and I immediately go crazy because it, it was seriously like 15 hours straight. Was it the ZZ this song. Top album? It was just one song? No, it was just this one song. And Someone then other... recorded one yeah, song. Yeah, this, you know, of this mixtape, I really need this ZZ Top oh song in there. And it was absolutely horrible. And then uh, when my buddy knew it pissed me off, he would just keep playing it. But we kind of deserved it. He drove the entire time. There's four people in there. You think we would switch off? Right, yeah. And he's like, hey, you guys, you guys think we could switch off next? And the <laughs> other two guys in the back, they're like, nah, nah, we're good. Keep driving. Finally get in there, and you have visions of what Woodstock's going to be, right? Right. Just rolling green hills. Everyone's frolicking. We get up there. This is an airfield. It is just blacktop as far as the eye can see. It looked like a oh. military combat. It just, it's just gray oh. and black, and it's 100 degrees. Oh, my gosh. And all you see, and, and, and also you're thinking, I'm going to meet people from all over the world, right. all over the country. You know it's what it was? a big deal. You know what it was? It was hundreds of thousands of other angry white kids who also came from the Midwest. It's like we were all congregated there, and then we all took the same road out there to get pissed off together in a different place. <laughs> and it's like, so it's 100 degrees, and it's just asphalt airstrip, and you're sweating your ass off. They called it profit stock because they're just trying to make money. It was absolutely horrible. You couldn't buy food, ran out of water. Uh, you tried not to use the bathroom. I didn't shower for three days. I just remember pitching our tent and the very next morning you wake up and there's just like condensation dripping on you because the oh. sun's already hot. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is going to be a long day. How are you guys still hydrated? We weren't. We This was a science experiment on how dehydrated you could be and actually function. Yeah, I mean, there was no reason we should have even been alive. We had like warm soda and booze and your seventh there's no oh. water there's no actual food it's yeah. just it's absolutely disgusting the only thing you could do is just try to forget about what's going on in the day it wasn't all bad though like there were some there were some good times i remember like as a 17 year old kid you're like okay i'm angry i'm sweating i haven't eaten i'm, I'm, I'm dehydrated I might have to go to the hospital but if you remember like this is the late 90s and this was when the rave scene yeah sure was, this is when it was in full Glow swing and like, yeah and i wasn't you know i was i wasn't one of those one of those kids but when they had this airplane hanger full of raves i'm like like you know you get done at like with the concerts like two three in the morning I'm like what's going on in here you start to peek in there and it is just another world were you ever you ever into the rave scene i, I wasn't into the rave scene but i was at uh, a couple nightclubs where they like turned ravey like at the end of the night and all of a sudden the oh, glow sticks like broke out and people started blowing in each other's bases and it was like Dude, this like opened my eyes. Touching each time. other. We're going, like, I'm, we're in there and they're probably all on something and everybody is. Yeah, it's ooh, called ecstasy. They're all they're touching each other. Yeah. And I'm going in, I'm like, this, this is a place that I want to stay for a while. And this is the first time that I, that I saw two live people just having sex, <laughs> but not in one place, like every corner, every corner that you could find, they were just getting it on. Wow. And when you are from the cornfields, this is this is it. Yeah, like this, we, you've reached it. This is you found it. Found I, I nobody told me this was going to be here. So I, I mean, found this, the glory this, hole. This whole I, <laughs> well, I didn't literally find the glory <laughs> hole. That, that's a different story that, okay. that, I'll, that I'll share later. <laughs> no, I won't share later. But yeah, you're watching these people just get it on in every corner, and you can't help but not not look. So I, I basically do a, a couple tours until I. I have to go back because it's like five in the morning. I'm like, go to sleep. But I am so excited for the next day, <laughs> knowing that this this thing is this happening. Ever and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, guys, like 
there are naked there are so many naked people around here i'm like tomorrow's gonna be tomorrow's gonna be great so i wake up and i this is the first time i'm ready for the day yeah if you seek it you will not find it because i did see a lot of naked people that day and for whatever reason it was like all the people from 1969 were congregated in one place in that same spot it's like overnight this place had shifted from like young hot people getting it on to just old people with things sagging all the way to the ground i'm like what where where where, where's all the hot people? Yeah, this is like where one of those have... movie scenes where like, absolutely you is. were so messed up. Maybe there's always old people. <laughs> you walked in and they're like, you know, it's like... I was absolutely terrified. And I'm like, and I was freaking out. I'm like, no, you, you, where, where, where were you? Were you here last night? And then just like old guys and their stuffs just dragging. Every... I'm like, this yeah. is not what I signed up for, right? And I didn't even, I didn't know things could get that gray, but it was absolutely disgusting. You spent it kind of eight it, hours in there, and you—I mean—they pulled you in, probably. And <laughs> maybe I slept in there. Maybe I never. Maybe I never. <laughs> Your buddies are like, I, "What is going on?" Where's Keith? Yeah. So uh, that was that was an eye-opening experience for me. There was actually one night where we lost my buddy. He never came home. We don't know where he was. Maybe he got lost in the magical rave that takes you back in the time or turns young people into old. Um, it's a magical yeah, a lot place. of weird stuff happens out in that airplane hangar when you're. Uh, it's also 105 degrees and you're hallucinating. I'll tell you about when you like, you know, got home, dropped off, you grab your bags, or whatever, and your mom's there. What was? Did she ask you how it was? Was she like? No. I mean, how did that, say? How'd that conversation no, go? No, I mean, you had to look like a pile she's, of shit. She's smart enough, and <laughs> I was smart enough to know like this was a bad idea from the get go. But nothing did bad did happen because I mean we were still. Of everything that went on, we were far more responsible than the 22-year-old who was with us. So we were kind of taking care of him the entire time. But yeah, no, there was no, didn't even look, didn't even look me in the eye. Just like, welcome home. You made it. And my, my dad's like, yes. Because he's like, well, if you don't come home, I he's have like, just to Just don't get out. the call from jail. Just don't get a call. Yeah. No, he put it all on the line. Like he was going to have to move out forever. If I didn't come home, <laughs> so the stakes were high for him. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he was grinning ear to ear. He's like, cool. I can go on with my life. So yeah, I mean, I know you just asked for what my first concert was, but it was, it was many concerts. I probably saw like 30 or 40 bands within that span, or maybe I didn't. I don't know. Maybe I was stuck in the rave the whole time. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an epic experience. Right? Yeah. And that's only half the things I, um, can, <laughs> can't share in the setting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, more uh, maybe uh, exclusive content. So my first um, concert experience was not when I was 17 or 18 uh, on the road, but it was in a concert venue uh, here in Minnesota. I was kind of far away from the stage, but I still remember holding up my Fisher Price blue and yellow of course. binoculars and watching Michael Jackson. No way. Yeah, it was... MJ all day. No way. What? Which? Which MJ was this? Was this? This was pre or post op. This was um, Thriller MJ, right? The bad. Oh like, my goodness! Yeah. Like right, Thriller. right in the heyday. Heyday. It was awesome. I mean, where was it at? Which? I. You know, I don't. I. I can't remember. I can't remember if the if it was at the Met um, or if it was at uh, the Metrodome. Both of which are no longer here. I remember, I got a little Michael Jackson doll with a stand, and he was in this like. Outfit with a sash, and he had a sparkly oh, yeah. glove and the, the microphone. Oh, he had the. Did he have the glove when you when yeah. you played? Yeah, yeah. He was, this was the glove. This is the oh, glove to Michael Jackson, right? Doing the moonwalk. I mean, after that, essentially, he was like my idol. It's like all I did was listen to Michael Jackson, watch his music videos, do his dance moves. You know, and for, you did his dance moves. Oh yeah, I mean, it was. I practiced in my living room, like watching, like all day long. It was 
Could you do? Could you moonwalk? I can get pretty close. Can you still do it? Pretty close. Yeah, I think so. Pretty close. Um, I want. I kind of want to see you do this. <laughs> I mean, we have to throw it up there. But like, uh, it was one of those things where, like, you know, even to this day, when I watched uh, uh, his latest, you know, right before he died, he was producing a, um, uh, a concert that he was gonna, a tour, a world tour, right? And they filmed a lot of those dancing. I was like, man, how awesome would it have been to be a professional dancer? Like, so to this day, I was like, yeah. You know, fuck marketing. I'd rather you be thought a you were that. Good. I would, no, not that good. But like, I feel like I would have way more fun if I was learning how to dance than like learning how to, you know, sell crap. I, don't, I mean, so I'm, you know, dancing with my daughter. Competition right now with dancing dads. And my feedback from my daughter has been, Dad, you got to smile more. Got to smile more. Really? And I'm like, I'm listening to a 1990s <laughs> Missy Elliott song, and like, I'm giving some attitude. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be smiling. I'm yeah, that's like Missy did. Yeah, so well, the dream of dancing uh, still lives uh, on with me and my family. But uh, you know, maybe that uh, some of that video will have to go up later as well. So let's get. Should we do the scene list? Yeah. Now it's time to get into Carl's big segment. This is uh, what we call the C list because we still don't have a name for it. We know some of the uh, suggestions are are uh, coming in from you guys, and we've we've got some good ones. Hoping to get a few more. Uh, drop them in on our social. Let us know what you think. What should we call this list? Carl, what do you got for us today? All right. So today's C list, I know uh, I've dealt with too many of these, but it's the dreaded icebreaker activities. No, like it is. So the dreaded icebreaker activities. You're not going to do one on me right now, are you? Well, let's let's just see. We'll, we'll get into it. So this first one is a... Quite standard favorite, I would say. Um, when you have a consultant come in and they're new to the group and they bring their little bag of fun little toys or whatever, right? And so they pull out the koosh ball, right? And they say, all right, everyone stand up, get in a circle, toss the koosh ball to each other. And when you catch it, say something about yourself. And First then, of all, they have a bag yeah. of tricks. A tricks, yeah. They're getting paid like $200 an hour. And the last thing that they pack is a bag of toys. Yeah, a bag of toys that thousands of people have touched. Yeah, a, cl- a clown is doing the same thing yeah. for like a minimum wage. I know. It's. I mean, and here's the deal with that, right? You're standing in the circle and you're looking around and you're eyeing, okay, can that person catch the koosh, <laughs> right? How hard should pressure. I throw it to that person? Is someone going to whip it at me, right? I should be able to catch a koosh. And if you don't or you drop it, then you look like an idiot. Or you always got the person that says, well, I can't throw very well. And they walk it over and hand it to someone because they're embarrassed to throw the koosh. The koosh, just stay in the bag. Just <laughs> get rid of it. Like, we don't need people to, like, demonstrate, like, their unathletic ability to throw and catch in a work environment. It just, it bothers me. And then you have those people who are trying to prove something. Maybe they were, they were like the old high school quarterback. And they're like, you call that a throw? Yeah. Also, I'll, th- I'll give you the perfect throw right now. And they're just like drilling it in and see if, seeing if you have the chops to catch it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, or the funny guy that goes behind the back. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no legs. the silly guy. Yeah. Or the guy that can't catch and tries to make like a weird, you know, between the legs catch and knowing he can't catch it just so he doesn't look like an idiot. Yeah. And then we have to watch you fumble around by your crotch with, with a ball with a bunch of weird stuff all over it. Yeah. Those oh. things are just bacteria fests too. I know. And they've got just individual strands, and they're just yeah. collecting everything. Yeah, and then they, that smell, that kushball smell. Yeah, it just it it smells like a Chinese factory full of just plastic and death. I know. Oh God! Please. Dude, I actually I actually Leave heard I actually heard a, heard a story one time 
about, I don't know if it's true, so I need to, to look this up, but the inventor of the Kush, you know why he supposedly invented this thing? No idea. It's because his children could not catch a ball. So he said that he's going to invent something that his kids could catch. Huh. So he had two things that he could do, either teach his pathetic kids how to catch or invent an entire different thing that the rest of the world would use just so it, his kids could could catch this ball, right? And that's a dedicated father. That's yeah, I I don't even know how I can wrap my brain around that right now. Let's go to this one. I this one's called the one word descriptor. So you only get one word to describe how you feel. So you would say, I feel and then blank. So I think this would be a fun one. Let's let's test it today. Like for you, how, what's your I feel? I feel hungry. Like that's it. I, I I haven't eaten in a while. But that's 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 how I play these games. How do how do you feel? I feel fine. But see, this is this is exactly one of the issues with this game. Right. Like you have people like us, one who's just gonna say exactly what it is. Like I I feel fine, and that is an accurate statement. I'm hungry. No one's gonna solve that for me. Does it matter that I told you I'm just hungry? But the risk with this one are those people who view this as the time to really tell you how they feel. And it just makes it super awkward yeah. for the rest of them. Like you've got guys like me and you. It's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm, uh, I'm hungry. My name's Keith. I'm hungry. I'm, I'm kind of stupid. And I say, oh, hey, I'm Jag. And uh, you know, I feel like my world's spinning out of control because of the choices I've made as I was younger. I'm like, whoa, like that <laughs> got real. Like, hey, it's one word, buddy. <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. Or yeah, yeah, you get the I, one person that says, I feel disappointed. Uh, what are you disappointed about? Like, oh, those, those aren't the rules. Just yeah. move on to the next person that's, yeah. you know. I just tell you my name. And even if I do tell you my name, like, I'm not going to remember yours. This game might help you out with names, this next one. So this activity, it's called the shoe ex- exchange. So The what? The shoe exchange. So you enter into the meeting and you take off your shoes. Have you done this? <laughs> no. <laughs> but apparently this is a pretty fun one, according to Google. And then someone takes the shoes and redistributes them across the group of people. And the goal is to find the owner of the shoes and then have a conversation and two or three things about, about them. Like learn Cinderella? Something. Yeah, you learn something. Exactly. You learn something about them. This should, this should be called the Cinderella game. Yeah. Yeah, Cinderella game. Dude, I hope this is a morning game. Could you imagine like everyone taking their shoes off at like 4 p.m.? I know. I mean, I mean just a big pile of stank. I know. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then, and then too, I'm like, I've had those days where maybe your socks don't match or you have that one sock that's like, could I, should I throw this away? Yeah. Nah, no one's going to see this, right? Yeah. You go to work. It's like time to play the shoe game. I'm like, are you shitting me of all days? Well, I know. And like, I don't have this problem, but I know that, you know, women often, you know, can wear, don't have to wear shoes. And like, I don't know what that's like, but like, if it's like, they don't have shoes on just their bare feet, I can only imagine how uncomfortable that could be. Oh, yeah. Because I don't then, have my bare feet People have there. weird feet. Yeah, feet are weird. Yeah, right? I don't want to go there yeah. with, with my feet. But then you got bare feet stepping on just the weird ground. Also, like, there, you, you have no idea who works next to you. Foot fetishes are a real thing. <laughs> and if you're the guy who has a foot fetish, you might like, have a You come shoes. into this icebreaker, it's like, what are you going to do? Everyone take off your shoes. And he's like, oh, I've been waiting my entire life for this and everyone's taking their shoes off and putting them up it's basically a big pile of underwear 
to this guy. You just made his day. Well, I don't. I don't want. I would suggest like, clo- all clothes on. Whoever recommends this activity, that's the first person I would wonder if they have the the shoe fetish. Oh, that's a great point. You know, it's like I'll oh, take off your Everybody shoes. Everybody take off. It's slower. Yeah, disappear for ten minutes and they come <laughs> back. And they're like, okay, here's your shoes. Like, what's the rest of this? Oh no, that's it. That's it. Find yeah, find the partner. We're good. Yeah, find We're your good. Shoes. Yeah. yeah, maybe take the other one off. Who knows? Not awkward. No, all clothes. <laughs> Well, let's not invite that guy to this next uh, icebreaker activity, and this is BYOI. What is that? BYOI, bring your own identity. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) You have like five of them. This would be a good game for you. (laughs) Pick one one out of a hat, see which one you want to be. That's true. What is it? Am I right? Bring your own icebreaker. Oh, that's dumb. So this is a dedicated meeting that everyone comes and brings their own icebreaker, and they just go one by one and share icebreakers and do them all together. So everyone's trying to one up each other. So you could get, for for the last three of them, you could you could be doing all those in the next hour. One one time you're taking your shoe off, the next person you get a cush ball thrown at you. <laughs> it's miserable. This is <laughs> one person's issue. asking you how you feel. I mean, if you think that's bad, here's the last one. So this one is called the toilet paper icebreaker. And so what you yeah, what you do is you pass around a toilet paper roll and you take off the amount of toilet paper that you would normally use. And I'll just leave it at that. You've got to be kidding me. And There's then, no way this actually happens. So, And then what happens is that after everyone's tore off their pieces of toilet paper, you count the number of squares. And if you have five squares, then you have to reveal five facts kind about yourself. What site were you on with this stuff? And if it's, two, <laughs> if it's two squares, it's two things about yourself. Are you serious? So you're looking at your coworkers. You're obviously visualizing <laughs> them on the toilet. Oh, he takes two. He's a, he's a six or seven square. I feel like this is just a measure of how much fiber you take. <laughs> I mean, this is like the sickest thing I've ever seen. If you got guy, one guy that only has one, like, oh, you should eat your greens there, buddy. Well, like all those guys that maybe like roll it up around their hands like eight or ten times, and it's like all of a sudden they have like 20 things they have to divulge to the rest of the group, and they're like, what the f-? What are you doing with that? Yeah, what, what, what kind of door, what kind of screen are you shitting through? <laughs> Going to the bathroom at work is just strange. Yeah. The whole, the whole, the whole thing is just... Yeah, it's, it's it's it shouldn't be weird. There's like a, a how many people in in the office, but there's only ever like two stalls right next to each other. If you had four or five, you could be a little anonymous. Yeah, but yeah. you're basically buddy shitting. Yeah, like everywhere you go, it's it's kind of strange. It is awkward. It is. Yeah, awkward. and it's like everybody does it, but it's like you never want to get caught doing it. It's like it's not illegal. We all know what happens in here, but then there's always there's always that. That one weird moment where, like, you look down at the other person and you see their badge with their oh, ID. Yes. Like, I didn't need to know exactly who yes. is over there. And their badge is on their belt loops. That means their pants is all the way down oh, oh, on yeah. the floor. Yeah. They're just making a day of it. Yeah. That just can't happen. <laughs> that just can't happen. Like, you, I'm, I'm sorry, but, like, I'm going to teach my son, like, you don't need to pull your pants all the way down to the floor so they drag. It yeah. just can't happen. Why can't we have like, there's those bathrooms in Europe where they go all the way down. Just give me a cubby so we don't have to play this game. It's just so, it's so strange. Well, I mean, it's funny too, because like we think about, we've got bosses, we could see them in the bathroom, which could be awkward. Totally. 
Like and some people it. have yeah. questionable digestive systems. Like I shouldn't be allowed to judge no. their superiors about their bad intestinal or bad food choices the night before. No, and then you, then you're gonna go into a meeting where they're gonna give you some critical feedback, and then you're like, really? I just saw you shit your brains out. Like, how am I supposed to take you seriously? Yeah. Even even though we should, it's like, all right, we're done with this one. Got weird. All right, but <laughs> that was the C list uh, topic of the day. That was a good one. Dreaded icebreaker activities. I'm glad we we haven't experienced some of those. Now, if anybody ever says we're gonna play the shoe game or any of these weird ones, I guess I guess after looking at some of those later ones, we'll we'll gladly take the uh, the kush ball. I think so. All right, Carl, let's get to the work short topic of the day. You ready for this? I'm ready. Let's do it. Today's topic, fail fast, fail often. And we chose the topic of failure because it's very topical. It's quite cliche. Yeah. You should fail fast. Learn from it. Move on. We, we're told that even since we were a little kid, but especially in today's corporate environment. But we really wanted to dive in and dissect, what does that mean? Do we fail fast? Should we even fail fast? How safe to play it? I mean, what, what's your take when you hear this, Carl? I think for for me and in our roles as marketers, as innovators in products and solutions and brands, um, there's a sense of absolutely you should be testing new ideas and working with the customers and working with our sales teams and working with people that are taking a little bit of risk. But I will say that you can't fail all the time and you have to come up with a good idea. So it's like, Sure, you can fail on the individual little small pieces, but the big idea or the outcome, the big outcome should be successful. Otherwise, you know, you maybe have failed. And it's all about when you feel like you're allowed to fail too. Absolutely. I mean, any, anytime you start at a new place, and especially if you're starting a brand new position, failing fast, I think is a bad idea. Because you don't have a reference point. What do you need to do and how long do you need to be in a position before you are allowed to do that? Well, I think often as managers, what ends up happening is we allow or we should allow our team to fail, even if they're new, but we should be taking the brunt of it. So how do you help them get some of those smaller wins to get a reference point, even if it's not that impressive, which allows both of us to have the confidence that allows them to fail. So I, I think that's a responsibility on managers too, is to set expectations, to make sure that you get someone that quote unquote win. Yeah. I mean, and the other point is, is when you're selecting your team, I mean, you're going to try to pick the best people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah we have yeah. a track record of not, not failing, but that's, that's the other thing. It's all about reward systems. If people have been at a company for a long time and they're constantly rewarded for not screwing up, what is their incentive to fail? Yeah, and a lot of times in our jobs, we're getting promoted within a year and a half to two and a half, two and a half years. Like you take six months, you're onboarding, just getting up to speed on the business. You've got a year of actual work, and then you're actually trying to probably find your next role. And your manager by then has probably changed roles. So now you're managed by two different people. One has already probably been onboarding. One wasn't paying attention for half the time because they're trying to get their new job. Yeah. Right. So it's like this constant flux of, Who's actually seen a good piece of work that you're doing, a good body of work? You know, it's tough. It's tough to, to display that. Especially as marketers, which, which we are, right? I mean, whether you're managing a big brand or, or in a startup, a lot of times, yeah, you're not going to be remembered or stand out as this marketer if, if you're on a, a huge name brand. 
But if you screw that up, people remember that. They remember that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's it's hard, especially in a marketing role where we you need that creativity. You need to fail. Like we need these people like us to fail. Yeah. Because that means they're trying something new. But if I mean, it's one of those things where success breeds the status quo. So it's it's really hard, especially the higher you go and the more prestigious of a brand that you have. Like you, you just don't want to be the person who screws it up. And I mean, and that's, and I even looked at some examples of people in our field in marketing, uh, in history that have tried some things and have failed. Right. And, and you think about some, some brands that have been the same for a long time, like Cheetos. Sure. Cheetos hasn't changed a lot. Yeah. You got, you have some different flavors, uh, but pretty much Cheetos have been Cheetos. You, you get to decide, you know, how's Chester going to look. Yeah. This year, a little bit, but there was a time when a marketer decided that they were going to fail fast. Try something new. The, you know, a new Carl comes in to the Cheetos brand, trying to make a mark, and he comes into a room and he has a great pitch on his hands. He goes, "Guys, people love the flavor of Cheetos. What if they could experience that all the time?" Okay. And he created a product called Cheetos Lip Balm. Think about oh. it. Think about it. How many times you put lip balm, especially where we live in Minnesota, like it's dry. You have to use it all the time. Like these people love Cheetos and they Keep have dry lips. Like cool ranch. I know. If they would have cool had a cool ranch lip balm. If they would have had cool ranch lip balm, I definitely would have purchased <laughs> that. What do you think happened to this person? Did they get fired? I mean, that's when you hear these and they're kind of funny. Did this person get rewarded? I'm thinking they got fired. Yeah. I mean, I was on a brand. It was a brand that was a boxed meal kit. The boxed meal segment, you know, is like your your Walmart demographics, right? This, they're looking for a cheap, easy to cook meal. And we had a VP at the time that suggested that we come up with a new flavor that instead of using beef and mixing into this meal kit, we used salmon. These people are paying $1.50 or less on a box of this. And her idea was that we make one out of salmon and charge a little bit more, make it like a premium dinner kit. Because that's what those people want. Well, that's you, what the I people want. People that eat I'm... salmon aren't going to use this crap. No. So, I mean, it's things like that where, like, I can see how yeah. this idea, it's actually not, if it was like a brand marketer, like a assistant brand marketer or a, you know, a, you know, marketing manager, and they are pitching this idea and it goes up, there are people that approve this, right? Yeah. There are processes in place that, these things get moved along and get developed and they get produced in these big plants and things come out. They get launched and people are nodding their heads at these big tables that are getting paid way more than any of way more than we're making. So, I mean, I have nothing, nothing against the brand manager or whatever. It's the VPs that should be moving on. Looking back at it, it's easier for us to say, well, obviously that was a stupid idea, but for every, you know, 10 of these that flops, one of them hits. Yeah. And that person gets rewarded. That's what elevates the business. And maybe those are some of the things that people uh, think about. But it, I mean, just to put in context for for what we do, it, it it does make you think in this day of fail fast, fail fast. When you look at all these historic examples and people have epic fails, is there a real incentive yet? Or have we not caught up? Because I, honestly, I, I think that's where we're at. I think the, 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 the managers and the CEOs at the top, they genuinely want us to do that. Right. And they I absolutely agree. do. And I think I the people coming in do as well. It's just this inertia in the middle that has had this reward where I know we need to fail fast, but those annual expectations just don't just don't coincide. Yeah, and I agree. And, and people are looking for instant growth and instant results and the next really big hit. And 
I understand that that makes a lot of sense because small wins take probably just as much time from a resources standpoint. And so we're always looking for the next biggest thing, but that also is the highest risk. So it's it's kind of this balance. I mean, how do you gauge and, and get the right level of risk and reward balance that is going to grow a company or a business five to ten percent annually? I mean, it's that's a tough balance to make. Yeah, and I, I and I think for for me, it's just what I'm trying to do is maybe not think of those huge ones. Like maybe those aren't the ones you have to fail at, but it's creating this culture of being allowed to fail on small things yeah. that maybe don't have as much consequence. But then if we're doing it, other people are doing it, then you, then you really create the culture with these small ones. And then maybe at one point you're, you're able and allowed to fail on, on one of those those big things. Yeah. You know, I think you made a really great point and it's about culture, right? And so on one of my old teams, um, I brought this to the table and said, Hey, what if we, in our, you know, monthly large team meetings, someone celebrates failure. So I was the first to go. And so I brought this example, made a, you know, a three slide presentation out of PowerPoint, but here's the way it went. So when I was in sixth grade, I was uh, part of the sixth grade spelling bee. So you had to qualify uh, to the to the main event through your your individual classroom. You know, I probably studied three four weeks in advance. You know, my mom and I we went through hundreds of words, packets full of words, um, and I think I ended up finishing first or second out of uh, out of my individual class. And I felt pretty good. I felt like I had a really good shot of winning the spelling bee and moving on to a bigger district uh, spelling bee. So I get there. This is held in the auditorium. All the parents are invited. And my mom's there. She's got, you know, our video camera. It's the old VHS RCA camera with it's a, it's like lugging in a suitcase into this thing. You slam that thing down. You hit those like latches, and you hear the and they open up, and you get this camera and attach the battery and put in the VHS and lug it up onto your shoulders. Hit the record button, and the red light turns on, and everyone knows you're recording. And <laughs> You know, for you young kids out there, it's like, you know, a, a rocket launcher on your shoulder in Fortnite, right? So it probably weighs 50 pounds. Yeah, it, it was crazy, right? Um, but, you know, it was it was the thing to do if you felt the event was important enough, right? Because it was, it was something that you had to actually bring along and be intentional about what you're recording. And I remember I'm up there. I felt super confident in my spelling abilities. Definitely some smart kids uh, I was competing against, but I really felt like I was the odds-on favorite. And so I remember getting up on stage, a couple of kids had gone, really easy uh, words thus far, really confident, right? This is the first round, boom. And uh, the first word that I got was shutter. Oh, boy. And I was like, shutter, S-H-U-T-T-E-R, shutter. And, you know, I was about ready to walk off the stage, and they're like, sorry, that's incorrect. It didn't make any sense to me. I was like, no, that's how it was spelled. They're like, it's shutter. S-H-U-D-D-E-R. And I remember going back to my chair, right, those those hard metal folding chairs. I was the first one out. And, you know, I, I was probably like in the top three of my entire class. First one out, sitting there by myself. I saw the red light on my mom's uh, video camera just turn off. Heard, <laughs> you know, the, the place was silent, right? I heard the, the thing just shut. The students looked at me like, what just happened? And I was like, I felt betrayed. I felt that it was someone else's fault. Of course. I was like, they so gave me a, a trick question. Yeah. Like, they gave me a trick word. Like, it, you could have given me an easy word. A word like the person before me had. Especially the first one. Shudder, like, you are, you intentionally are requiring the person to ask a question at that point. Yeah. Please use it in a sentence. 
to try to take down the champ. But it was one of those, and I don't know if that's had a big impact on, on the way that I approached my career or my job, right? But I've gotten some feedback where like, hey, like, you don't have to keep asking questions. Like, let's make decisions, keep moving faster. Let's be willing to take the risks, right? And I don't know if a part of me is like, should I be taking that risk then? Because do I need to ask another question? Am I not asking the right question? Should I ask one more question? It's like, who are you to tell me that yeah. I should just say this is the right decision when I've seen, you know, in a very emotional state of sitting on the sidelines because I didn't ask and that, seen that one question. And seeing that camera turn off. And seeing that camera turn off. burned in your retina. Burned in my, yeah, it's, it was miserable. You know, and for me, I guess that's, that's a little bit of like how I think about failing. It's, can you ask questions? Are you asking the right questions? And if you do at least some due diligence there, you've, you've done it, right? You've, you've actually at least asked the questions and, and gotten to a better spot. Um, but if you don't ask the question, if you just assume, you know, that's, that, that saying goes, you know, assuming if you assume you make an ass out of you and me, right? And I, I believe that I've been called on that a ton. I've assumed a lot in early in my career. And so I think um, that's kind of what I carry for. Right? That's, I'm, I'm hopeful that, like, that's what I bring to the table is I ask thoughtful questions and hopefully we'll get to the, uh, the right answer. And that's such a hard age to fail because nobody's mature. Nobody's yeah. mature at failing. I mean, any time that I failed when I was that age, it was definitely somebody's fault. Or if it was any sort of sporting event, I was physically going to take it out on someone right. until I could feel better. Yeah, And that's not a good way to approach sports or life in general. But you think about it, like that sort of mentality is perpetuate. And some people could perpetuate, perpetuate into their entire existence where it's always somebody's fault. And any sort of failure is also an indictment of you. I think that was one of the hardest things for me is anytime that I would fail, it's not that it was never a learning opportunity ever. It was always, I, I'm, I wasn't good enough or I didn't make the right decisions. That's not acceptable. And that's like a completely different cultural shift. So I don't know it if is, that's yeah. culture in general, which I think it, it could be when you think about the eighties or the nineties, I, I don't think this, this culture definitely has been open to Feeling. And I mean, a lot of it's the, the tech industry. Before that, there was no risk taking because that's not, that industry didn't exist. We had to go fast. Right. But now it's so pervasive in everything that we do that that's like bled into education everywhere. So now it's like, well, now, now failing is okay. And now that it is such a global competitive world, like if, if we don't fail fast and get there and then somebody else is, that was never ingrained in us. So I think it's it's one of those things where you had to relearn that in your 20s, which is tough. I mean, because you're learning, you're like that's not a, that's not a life skill that we learned when we were yeah. we were younger. You're well, learning think, it on the job. And like the definition of failure, it feels just so so finite, right? It feels like it's you're losing, yeah, and it's done, right? And I think about in high school, I played basketball, high school basketball. I started my junior and senior year, and both years we got to the state tournament. Both years we got to the championship game. In both years, we took second place. And I consider my high school basketball career almost as a failure. Taking second place two years in a row in the state tournament is, to me, is failing. Yeah. No one remembers second place. Nope, never. Like that medal isn't on my wall. It's not like I'm not wearing a ring for first place, right? It's And so like, was it a failure? Absolutely not. If my kids were to do that today, I would consider that a huge success. Yeah. I'm sure my mom and my dad consider that a huge success. You know, I'm sure our coaches did as well. But it was just like, yeah. Second place isn't winning, right? I mean, there's these times in our career too. At, at what point did it start turning for you? Or did you have to wrestle with, with some of these things? I think everyone gets really attached, I think, to being an entrepreneur. It's like, hey, act as an entrepreneur. Do as entrepreneurs do. Like, they fail all the time. And they, it's like 
being an entrepreneur is like you love to fail or you love to take risks. I think sometimes you're an entrepreneur based out of necessity. And I faced that situation early in my career where I, you know, ended up quitting a job because the entrepreneur that I was working for ended up failing. So his job was, his business was done. So I was unemployed. I started another job and worked with another guy to start a company and was a co-founder of a, a small company and worked really hard at creating this business in a market that was oversaturated with competitors. We didn't have any differentiation in the marketplace. We were over ahead in, in overhead costs, but I was too young in my career to see that. But I thought that being an entrepreneur is going to learn a ton. I didn't learn shit. I learned what not to do, but I didn't know how to do it better. There's no example. How to do it right. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. And so, I, you know, I, I left that job and I said, I need to get with the biggest company that I possibly can so that I can learn the ins and out of how to do business right. And thankfully that happened for me. And that's when like it totally shifted in, in my career is getting into a place where the company was large enough to absorb any types of risks that we were to take. And you almost need that cushion. You need a big enough company where like if you make a mistake, it's not going to matter to a $15 billion company. Yep. Like my advice would be for people coming out of college or MBAs, start with a really big company. Learn from the best. Learn from the people that have the resources. So when you go to a smaller company, your your version of failing is just different. Your perspective on it is completely different. Because you know that if you do something wrong, a misstep here, a misstep there, you know that like you can recover and you can find like the right appropriate um, you know mitigation plans. But like if you start out small, like super small, and you fail, businesses could just close. You just could close the business. Or you're just failing on and on and on, and, and you never know. You never know why. That's yeah. That's just your your status quo. I, I had an example. Uh, this is actually when I when I was in grad school. I worked also worked for uh, a software startup doing sales. Sure. Very. I mean, very small. It's like five people working out of a of a classroom. My job was really just to to go get people trialed on our our software when you start knocking on doors and nobody knows your name no one's heard of your company and no one knows your product you have to get a pitch out really quickly and when i talk about beating the streets that's literally what we were doing like in our car knocking on doors we would get doors shoved in our face there were a number of times where we would have an address get psyched up go to this address and like we're ready to go give our pitch and then you try to open the door and it doesn't open because the place is out of business. It was an absolute- Cold calling is the worst. It is, but you you do learn a lot. But I remember this one specific moment, we got into a business, and this is after we had our teeth kicked in for probably 10 times in a row. And we, we give her a pitch and she's like, yeah, come on back, let me see what you got. And we just kind of stood there. So we walk in this office and I have no idea what came over me, but I thought this was in my head, but I said it out loud. She gets there. We sit down at the computer. We're about to show her, and she just shuts the door. And then I just go, shit, we've never gotten this far. <laughs> but I said it out loud. <laughs> like, wait, what? Shit just got real. And I'm like, well, she heard it. I'm like, we've, we've, never, got, we've never gotten this far. What we're about to show you is really cool. That did not instill confidence oh. that we were the company yeah. To go with, we did not get her to trial it, but that was, it was a lesson in humility. You learned so much. Always be prepared to go all the way to the end of the sale. Like yeah. If there, if, if you go and say hi to someone, act as if this thing could escalate all. I mean, I, I kind of use that mantra in my, my life in general, right? Just assume it could go anywhere. Sure. But 
specifically with uh, with selling, and, and it applies to marketing too. Like if you go into a room and if you think that you're just gonna give someone an update, are you gonna say hi? What if they ask you and want some details about this? Like you have to be prepared to go all the way in any situation so that you never get to a place where you're like, I wasn't prepared for that. Well, I, I wasn't ready for this. It doesn't matter. It can go wherever, be prepared to take it where it will. So that that was an example where starting for a, with a smaller company, to your point, it wasn't full time, but it was, it was in an environment where I could learn some of those small things. So when it got to a bigger company, I didn't make some of those egregious mistakes. Right. So. Well, I think, that, you know, that was interesting when you said that be prepared for it to go anywhere. And I feel like that's a great indicator of your personality. Because I feel like you are prepared to go anywhere and like take it there, right? And I think it's a, a great reflection of my personality where I also think be prepared that it can go anywhere. So stop and ask the right questions <laughs> to see if it needs to continue to go on. You know, it's funny that way. Like uh, I can see that totally like you're ready to, to run and I'm like, well, let's just, let's take it. Is let's this take, where we want to go? Do we really want to go that direction or we could go anywhere in that direction? Yeah. You know, which I think is, it's funny to, to see, you know, the similarities there, but you know, the, the differences too. It's kind yeah. of cool. No, I think we covered quite a bit of ground. Do you have an overall overall takeaway for this topic before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's imperative that us as marketers or general managers, we do take risks, especially risks around innovation. And a couple examples come to mind. One would be Blockbuster, right? They were approached by Netflix to partner with them to create this online presence. And the CEO of Blockbuster was like, you've got to be kidding me, right? This is, you know, brick and mortar stuff. That's just going to be a fad. It's going nowhere. Kodak is another example where they didn't want to dive into the digital picture technology. You can just see the missteps of people that not willing to invest in this innovation and be willing to take that risk. And so... My takeaway is, is yes, failing overall maybe has a negative connotation, but if you can take small steps in your, in your, in your work life and in, in your personal life, that risk is okay. And, you know, the outcome uh, could actually be greater um, than, than the failure. I think you're going to live probably more fulfilled life if you, if you're able to step outside your comfort zone and, uh, and take some of that risk and, and innovate and create something new for yourself. Oh, that's good. So my overall takeaway is really that people who epically fail doing something awesome are remembered way more than those who succeed in very boring fashion. This, this, <laughs> this reminds me of a, a story. Did you hear about this? Is this flat earther guy who built a homemade rocket so he could prove that the earth was flat. So this is a guy who had complete conviction that the earth was flat. So I'm, you know, People Isn't may listen to this podcast. Flat? You, know, you may be one of those people. I'm not going to judge. Okay. Like, okay. Everyone's free to, to think what they want. But this guy was going to prove it. And he was going to innovate a rocket that you put to your back. Like Rocket Man. Like a, a movie that he saw. And he was going to shoot himself so high into the air that he could see the ends of the earth. So this is a guy who had true conviction and he was ready to fail. And he had think about this. the smarts enough to build a rocket? Absolutely. He had the smarts enough to build a rocket, thought the earth was flat. Take, take so what you will on that. some science. Yeah, he did. He was using mechanics <laughs> to get in jet propulsion to get himself out there. But did he do it? The thing is, he was willing to take that risk because obviously there's, there's a lot of risk if you're shooting yourself up into the earth to see if the world was flat. Yeah, did he shoot himself off? He did. Did he see? He might have. He died. Oh. He died. Of course. He shot himself like 5,000 feet in the air. And of course, when you do that, you fall down and you... 
I feel like you, you should have invested in a parachute. <laughs> no, there's actually there's there's actually a guy when I was looking this guy up, there's a, there's a no joke. There was a guy who invented a parachute jacket. Oh, I like this idea. So he had been parachuting. He's like, well, this is very cumbersome to put on this entire, uh, you know, backpack. This, this backpack. So he's like, what if I could just wear a jacket around town that could also just double as a parachute in case I want to jump off a cliff and cl- jump off a building? So he did. He built this, built his parachute jacket. But it's not like you could test it. This guy was willing to fail fast, right? So we got up on the Eiffel Tower. Oh, geez. Same same. Fate is the flat earth guy. I mean, you die, right? You can't jump oh. off. You can't jump off the Eiffel Tower of the jacket. But I mean, these these are just a couple of examples of people who who did fail fast and are definitely and are dead. Definitely remember they are dead. Those are extreme examples. But you know, getting, so. getting back to my takeaway, few people remember the safe middle manager, but we'll all remember that flat earth rocket guy. That's that's a great point. That's a great point. So I'll do it for the work short topic of the day. How'd that feel for you? Felt good. Felt good. I felt like we we got a lot of uh, great advice out of this one. I think so. Had some realness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was good. Um, So if you have any comments, questions, tips, any topics that you want us to cover in the future, hit us up on the socials, uh, keithandcarl.com. Hit us up on Instagram, at workshortspodcast, on Facebook, at workshorts. Uh, and also check out our uh, Keith and Carl YouTube channel for some cool video content as well. Yeah, sounds good. See you next time. Thumbs up to that mother. <laughs> <laughs>